With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. I am your host today, Keaton DeRocher. And today I'm joined by old friend of the pod, Matt Collins of Over the Monster and Locked on Red Sox because Jake got his foot stuck in a lobster trap and couldn't shake it free. So he has to deal with that. So Matt, how's it going? Welcome back. Better than Jake, apparently. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, when you go to Maine, that tends to happen. I live here and I've never gotten my foot stuck in a lobster trap. So, so far. I've gotten both stuck in there at one time. <laughs> tough, tough days. All right, so on today's edition of the pod, we'll discuss the recent series win versus the Twins and series loss versus the Blue Jays, uh, and then the state of the bullpen and how the roster might shake out with some players returning from injury. But let's start with the positive. Taking the series uh, from the AL-leading Twins kept a five-game win streak going, the momentum from that rolling. Got strong starting pitching and strong performances from the bullpen. So, Matt, what did you see from that series that you liked? I mean, I think it was really... The pitching that stood out in that series, I mean, the starting pitching's really been kind of, if there has been a rock for this team, which I don't know if that's really fair to say, but if there has been, it's kind of been the pitching. I mean, the offense has had its moments, the bullpen's had its moments, but the starting pitching's really shown up a lot. And um, on the road against the Twins, who, I don't know if they still are, but they were the top offense of baseball heading into that series. Um, that was a big test, especially without... Um, Chris Sale in any of those games to be able to shut them down they let up uh, seven runs altogether through three games um, I mean that first game between Porcello and Barrios was one of the best pitch games in the majors on both sides all year and they ended up coming out ahead on that so um, just being able to go on the road they've had trouble with good teams all year um, being able to shut down that kind of lineup with that much talent I mean it doesn't have they don't have the most name brand players in the league but I mean they're one through nine they can all hit so being able to shut them down I think was a big morale booster um on the road like that I agree with that it seemed like the peripheries on the outside seemed like it was going to be a tall task AL leading team on the road best offense but when you looked at each individual pitching matchup it actually seemed like the Red Sox had the edge there the big question mark being the first game Porcello going against Barrios, and Porcello brought his big boy pants, and he outpitched uh, Barrios at, through eight innings of a gem and got the win there. And to your point about only giving up seven runs to the Twins, it was seven runs across 35 innings because that's 17-inning game. So yeah. that kind of adds Tried a little to put bit those to the 17 innings out of my memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's one good thing about Central Time, I guess, is <laughs> I had that extra hour on you. Yeah, that was brutal. But, yeah, I mean, I – yeah, like I said, I totally forgot that was 35 innings, too. But, um, I mean, that first game, going back to that, that was just, I mean, just even if you were a neutral observer. I actually thought Barrios was the better pitcher in that game. Um, He had the, the Red Sox, I believe, 
got the run. The first three guys got on base to get that one run against him. But then after that, he totally shut them down. Um, and it was, I mean, the Red Sox have had games this year where they got shut down by a pitcher who was just doing okay and they couldn't do anything. That wasn't the case here. I mean, Brios was unbelievable. But, but um, on Porcello's, to his credit, I mean, he didn't give up any runs. And his command in that game was just bananas. Um, he was hitting all of his spots. He had a few mistakes that he got away with. But for the most part, um, I mean, we know by now Porcello's been around long enough. When he's hitting his spots on the edges of the zone, um, he's really, really tough to beat. And that, that was the case in that game. Yep, sure was. And then they followed that up with a bit of a stinker of a series here against Toronto, uh, going one and two, and kind of lucky to get the one, to be honest, kind of bailing out um, a stinker of a start from Sale at the last minute there. Uh, Were there any positives that you saw from the series at all? I mean, I guess that first game, the fight from the offense kind of coming back, um, it was a very... 2018 kind of win um i mean we all remember last year obviously they that was a team that never really felt out of it um at any point no matter how much they were losing by it always kind of felt like there was one more rally in them and that hasn't been the case a whole lot this year i mean they've been better late in games than early but still they haven't really had a lot of those signature comebacks and that was um that really kind of it felt like a momentum swing like they were going to roll through the rest of the series obviously that didn't really work out but just for that one game the fight was really good and also i mean the bullpen which we'll get to the bullpen was not a bright spot for the rest of the series but in that game like you said sale was not very good he only got through five innings and the bullpen really shut them down for the rest of that game ended up going 10 innings so they went five innings themselves and i mean the offense wouldn't have had a chance for that comeback if the bullpen didn't pitch as well as they had so um, I mean, the offensive fight was kind of the highlight, but the bullpen was kind of sneaky, the biggest part of that game. Yeah, and that stretch, they kind of put everything together that you want to see. They took care of teams that they should have taken care of. With um, They got the last two wins in the Texas series. They swept Baltimore. Those are wins that they should have won, and they had them. And they went on the road against the Twins, got the win. And then they had a poor start from a starter that is – as close to a lock as you can get and then bailed him out with a late inning comeback. It kind of seemed like everything that you want to see from a competing team that can push for the division kind of happened was happening for them. And then the rest of the series happened and they kind of all fell apart, which not ideal. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of been the story of the season they've had that. I mean, that stretch that you were just talking about was, probably the best of the season i mean that might be recency bias on my part but it feels like that was the best i was feeling about the team all year but then like anytime you're feeling good about this red sox team this year it's as immediately they take a step back it's like two steps forward one step back and i mean that's fine they are getting up there they 42 and 35 i mean it's not the end of the world but it just at a certain point especially with the yankees playing as well as they are right now you got to go on a big run and they just as every time it seems like they're ready to just explode they just take that step back and it's just so frustrating kind of what added to it too is they went on a similar run earlier in the season where uh they had a bit of i think it was like a five or six game win streak and then they ran into the yankees and got swept and so they were carrying another win streak into a game against a above 500 team division leading team and took the series so it kind of felt like they had 
worked through whatever those issues were against better teams and kind of we're going to continue on this run and then to see it all kind of fall apart just kind of was just so frustrating yeah and i mean especially the way they lost um saturday's game where it was kind of the opposite of friday's where they had the lead this time and they kind of had a chance to put the knockout blow and then the bullpen absolutely imploded just about everybody who came in did not get the job done and i mean that was where friday felt like such a momentum builder and they couldn't like it just felt like they had they were going to build off that for a while uh saturday's loss was such a gut punch that it just felt like one of those losses that you don't come back from. And I mean, they've only played one game since then. It's obviously too early to say anything like that, but just the way they came out today on Sunday after that terrible loss, it's just, I mean, it's brutal. Yeah. And they didn't have a great task ahead of them going against Stroman, who uh, is pitching himself into a pretty impressive season so far this year uh, after a bit of a stinker last year. Uh, But speaking to today again, uh, bad Porcello showed up today but good porcello showed up against minnesota so how do we get more good porcello i i don't know he's such a weird pitcher um i've always kind of been on the lower end um in terms of like my porcello fandom um and it's just like if jake was here he would be very mad at me because he loves (laughs) porcello i'm the same as you. you I mean, he the argument, and I kind of get it, that he's the kind of pitcher who ages well because he's a pitcher, not a thrower, and, I mean, he's got the command. But at the same time, I kind of have always looked at it the other way where he's a pitcher, not a thrower, and if he doesn't have the command, his stuff isn't really going to make up for it. I mean, that was the case here. He was throwing a lot of balls, which has been an issue for him this year that's never really been an issue before. Um He's certainly had stretches again where he hasn't been walking guys. But, I mean, we go back to the beginning of the year when he was just putrid. He was walking guys like crazy. And then today he walked four guys in six innings. And, I mean, he's he he actually didn't give up any home runs today, which is surprising for him. But, I mean, generally he just gives up hits and he gives up home runs. And the way he gets around that is he doesn't put anybody on for free. So it's really hard to kind of get those rallies going. But, I mean, if he's walking guys on top of giving up those hard hit singles and some home runs here and there. Um, I mean, we just, it's what happens today. And I mean, he ends up going six innings and I mean, that's kind of what he does, but at a certain point when you're giving up four or five runs in those six innings, is that really as good as it seems? I mean, I don't think with the Red Sox bullpen, I guess you want as many innings as possible, but just in general in today's league, I would rather have four or five strong innings than six mediocre every time yeah that's the thing that jake continually brings up about porcello and I, I, to an extent i get it but i you're gonna get 200 innings out of him and there you can rely on him to go out there every fifth day but i would rather have 160 innings of like a 3-2 era than 200 innings of a 4-5 yeah i mean it seems it just seems like a very 2005 kind of argument where you want the workhorse you want the guy who's going to be out there every day and it's just that's not how today's game is I mean it's just aesthetically maybe you prefer the guys like Porcello but just it's I don't know just like when he's going when he's going today it just feels like that's not the guy you want long term and kind of what adds the frustration is you made the great point about how homer prone he is and that kind of 
also emphasizes how good his start against Minnesota was because of the amount of home runs that Minnesota has hit lately, and he completely shut him down, didn't give up any. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely. Just makes it that much more frustrating. Yeah, it's like you because you know he can do it. You've seen it so many times. I mean, he's like he won a guy won a Cy Young, which is still unbelievable. But I mean, it's just. Yeah. It's like I said, he's such a weird pitcher. I can't really wrap my head around it. And that's why, like, people who really do love Porcello, I can't really get on them too much because, I mean, you see it. I understand the appeal. It's just, I can't handle, I can't handle the roller coaster, I think is what it is. Yeah, I'm with you. Neither can I. Uh, the bullpen took it on the chin a bit in this one. And Barnes and Workman have been the two most used relievers in the majors for the entire month of June so far. That kind of seems like a problem. Is there anybody else in this bullpen that you think can step up and kind of take some of these innings away? No. <laughs> I mean, they, they just they don't have the talent. Um, I mean, I think it was clear to pretty much everybody that they didn't have the depth heading into the season. And the argument or one of the arguments for kind of standing pat like they did was that, oh, don't worry, we have Darwins and Hernandez, we have Derbert Feltman, we have Travis Lakins, we have these guys in the minors who are going to be ready to come up and contribute early enough in the year where you just have to get through a couple months and then you have these high upside guys. And that's all well and good in a perfect world and like video games where these are just like simulations, but Unfortunately, this is the real world, and I mean, development is never linear, and we're seeing that all of these guys have issues that need to be worked out in the minors, and it was never a good idea to kind of count on them being able to come in. I don't know if that was Dombrowski's uh, thought process in the offseason. It kind of feels like that's the only justifiable one to lead to what they have now, but I mean... Like I said, I mean, none of these guys, Darwin's and Hernandez, his stuff is electric, but he has no idea where it's going. Lakins hasn't really been able to take the step forward. If anything, he's taken a step back. Feltman's been a major disappointment. His command's been super inconsistent. And so now you're stuck in a position where you could have signed, I mean, Kimbrough's the obvious guy, but I mean, there were a million relievers that you could have signed for like three, four, five million dollars this offseason that could have slotted in and at least been part of that Workman, Hembry, Walden group. And now you're going to have to trade prospects from thin farm system at some point soon to bring in reinforcements. It's just, it's just crazy that they didn't do anything in the off season. I know this has been talked about for months and yeah. it gets old talking about the same thing, but I mean that at the end of the day, I mean, it's a failure of the front office. Yeah. It seems a bit reckless to pin your hopes on two kids who had not pitched above a ball coming into the season. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I don't know if that was, maybe they just really liked Colton Brewer and they thought Tyler Thornburg was going to be able to take a step forward and all these things. And it's all these like major ifs with no certainty to it. And like the other argument is that, Oh, you never know what you're going to get with relievers and relievers are fungible. And I've always hated that because it's just, it's not as true as people like to believe. And again, that's like a very 2005 mindset where, I mean, there's a lot of established relievers today that you kind of know what you're going to get. So Um, Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's really nothing else to say. It it was a failure of the front office, and now they're kind of seeing it. They're leaning on these guys. And to be fair, like someone like Barnes, who I have the biggest Matt Barnes defender in the world, I think pointing wholly to his workload and talking about how much he's been used and using that as the only reason kind of takes it off him a little bit too much. I mean, he's still 
not going out there, not doing the job, not making the pitches he needs to make. And that's part of it. He deserves some of the blame, but at the same time, it is that he's been leaned on so much and it's, it's tough to, it's tough to work like that. He was asked about it after Saturday's game and you could, I mean, he said all the right things, but you could kind of tell just by his body language, like he wanted to say, yeah, I kind of need a few days off. That'd be nice. But it's just a, what else is Cora going to do? Throw in, throw out like Josh Smith and, Mike Schwarren in these high leverage situations. It's just he doesn't have the guys. Yeah, we can only pitch the arms he have. So Schwarren has been better than I thought, um, but it, not to the point where you can rely on him to pitch in you know consistently in high leverage situations. I mean, we saw it on Saturday. I think he gave up three runs where he just didn't have it at all. There hasn't been one single person that they've had in the bullpen who's been consistent all season long. Barnes has been the closest, but he's had a couple different runs of inconsistency throughout the season and kind of sitting in one now, which is probably due to its usage, but they just don't have anybody to save him. Yeah, I mean, it might be Hembry. I mean, he's hurt right now, but I mean... Yeah, good point. And that's not... I mean, that says more about the Red Sox bullpen than it does about Hembry. I mean, Hembry's been good. He's been better than expected. I kind of was always the high guy in Hembry, and then last year I got frustrated and kind of jumped off the bandwagon. But he's been better this year. But, I mean, if Heath Hembry's the guy that you're looking at is the number two in the bullpen, I'm, you you got problems. So between both of these series, uh, it seems like the Sox are playing down and or up to their competition. Uh, and that's something that whenever you see a team do that, they always end up losing more games than they should. And I don't like seeing the Red Sox fall into that trap, but does it feel like that's what they're doing right now to you as well? I don't know. Um, because I I don't think so. Because the Twin Series was really the first good series they've had against a good team. Um, I think they just... They did kind of play down to the Blue Jays. This weekend, I think, like I said, that Saturday loss was kind of a cut punch and it carried over into Sunday. But... um. I mean, I think during this hot streak, if you want to call it that, most of their wins have been against the bad teams. I mean, they beat up on the Royals. They beat up on the Orioles. They've kind of just been treading water against the better teams, I guess. I think they they just still haven't found their footing against anybody. And it's just, I don't know if it's about the competition as much as they just don't have a rhythm right now in any facet of the game. And do you think that any uh, lack of offense over the course of the week was concerning at all? It's This is another one where it's kind of just been the trend of the season where they don't have, they just can't get anybody going or everybody going consistently at the same time. That's like a few guys are going hot and then other guys are going cold and it's just, you leave a bunch of guys on base because the hot guys are getting on base and then the cold guys come up right after. And it's just, it feels like something that should be able to sort itself out eventually, but it should have sorted itself out by now. It's just, it just feels like one of those seasons and it's kind of dejecting to say that and they're in the playoffs and all that, but it just doesn't, doesn't feel like last year's team at all. Not at all. And it's frustrating to see, the Yankees kind of start running away with it a bit here now. At least they swept a series against Tampa Bay, so Tampa Bay has come back to earth a little bit to the Red Sox. But it seems like the division might be put away here relatively quickly. Yeah, the Yankees, uh, 
they're a juggernaut, and I hate yep. it. I hate it a lot. Yeah, and especially now that they're getting all the all their players back healthy. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, they built up this lead, and it's like, oh yeah, where you have Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge coming back, <laughs> and hey, we're gonna trade for um, Edward Encarnacion too. So good luck with that. Like, cool guys. Thanks. Maybe we can hope they get hurt again. Not that we're you know hoping for people to get hurt, but kind of. I are. think you just gotta hope that. DJ LeMahieu stops playing like prime Alex Rodriguez. Like, that would be nice. <laughs> that would be a good start yeah. at least. And I, we've been putting a lot of focus on the bullpen, uh, which is absolutely warranted. Uh, but I was actually kind of surprised to find out that, uh, according to Fangraphs, coming into the series against the Blue Jays, they were fifth in the majors in war, uh, ERA, sixth in war, fifth in FIP, and seventh in XFIP. So are our concerns, uh, are we overreacting a little bit or are these kind of warranted and uh, kind of leading into more of a larger issue that will expose itself as the season continues to go? I think it's it's a little of both. Um, part of it is everybody thinks their favorite team's bullpen is the worst in baseball, um, especially now. It feels like every team has a Super Bowl pen, but also every team is kind of blowing a lot of saves. So the relative to the rest of the league, they're probably not as bad as we think right now. But that being said, they don't have the same upper-level talent as some of the other contenders. So where other contenders can add one more good arm and kind of take their bullpen to another level for the Red Sox to do that they would need to add at least two and probably three to really have one of those big time playoff bullpens that we've seen over the last few years that have really started to dominate and I mean last year they were able to get around it by using their rotation in the bullpen which I don't I just feel like that's not a sustainable strategy um so I guess right now they're not as bad as it seems but they're just in a worse position to kind of build on it as the summer goes on. Yeah, I think the it's actually kind of impressive where they are now, considering if you watch it day in and day out, it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I don't really understand. I was kind of su- just shocked when I saw those numbers, and I guess the the one thing that one fun takeaway from this is at least it's not the Nationals bullpen. <laughs> But that they have true. blown 15 saves on the season. Those are some nice wins that I'd like to have. Yeah, I mean, I think they won some of those games. I mean, the blown saves, I think a lot of them have been like the 7th and 8th inning, which are still blown saves. I mean, those are still blown leaves. But yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm really surprised by that they're 5th and 5th. Um, it just feels like they walk so many guys i don't know i mean i guess i would have to look more into it i guess they just i feel like now that i think about it they don't really give up home runs which i guess would help with the fifth i guess i'm just thinking of brandon workman because he walks like every other battery faces but <laughs> it's just i'm kind of taken aback by the numbers to be honest yep i was too i was uh i wanted to get the numbers because we were gonna have have this conversation about the bullpen and i was kind of expecting it to be like bottom third uh and was quite surprised to see the exact opposite 
Yeah, I'm looking at it. They do give up home runs, so I don't know what I'm talking about. I, they strike out a bunch of guys. They have, they lead. Their bullpen has the most strikeouts per nine in baseball, so I guess that's where it comes from. And I guess that's mostly Matt Barnes, because um, I feel like even the rest of the bullpen doesn't really strike out that many guys. Maybe I just haven't been watching <laughs> the right games. Maybe I'm watching the wrong team. I don't know what's going on. Weird. Well, something that might be able to help is uh, Tuesday, Stephen Wright is scheduled to return. Uh, how would you expect him to be used? Then he's returning from an 80-game uh, PED suspension. Yeah, I'm interested to see that. I mean, I'm assuming he's going to pitch out of the bullpen. I don't think they're going to use him to start um, unless Brian Johnson kind of implodes for a few starts in a row, which I don't think is going to happen. He's kind of that solid four or five inning guy. Um, I think ideally they would like to get him in a high leverage role. And I mean, the way we've been talking about this bullpen, it shouldn't be hard to move into that, but um, I don't really feel great about that either. Having a knuckleballer in that kind of role kind of scares me, but I guess to start, he would probably be used as like the Mike Schwarren, going multiple innings if you need them, kind of bridge to the late innings. Um, and then I would guess ideally within a few weeks, he'll be in that Workman, Walden, Brazier mix and just another guy to throw at the wall and see if he can stick. But I mean, the way this Red Sox season has gone, he'll pitch well and then he's not eligible for the playoffs. So it won't even really matter. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, because it's been a while since he's actually pitched. Vasquez can't catch him to save his life, can he? He's not great. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it's tough if he's pitching out of the bullpen because, I mean, he can't really have a personal catcher. Um, I think part of it is we went so long watching Doug Mirabelli, who was like a savant at catching the knuckleball, that we kind of underrate Vasquez. But, yeah, I mean, it's he's not. it's definitely not a specialty. That's not great. So uh, with him coming back, what do you expect the roster move to be to make space available? There's also the potential that uh, I haven't seen what uh, the post-game diagnosis was on Brock Holt, who did leave after he pulled up lame after a terrible send. Uh, so may, they may not actually have to make a roster move. One may have already been made for him. But uh, what are your expectations there? Yeah, I mean, it's... Assuming Brock Holt isn't the move, um, I mean, I would assume, well, even if it is, even if Brock Holt goes to the IL, I mean, they would need another position player because they only have a three-man bench right now anyways. So, I mean, I would think it's Josh Smith or Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor's been pretty good. I would assume Josh Smith is going back down as soon as Wright's ready. I would be okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody would really miss Josh Smith too much, which... No offense to Josh Smith. I'm sure he's a very nice guy, but he's not uh, It's not going to be missed. We also had a, a question just uh, so that they get their name read on the pod. Travis Lohman asked that exact question. What was Stephen Wright's role when he returns from suspension? Uh, I think it's going to be bullpen. Kind of like yeah, I mean, some, I, unless Johnson. Yeah, struggles. I mean, unless they're desperate for a starter. I just, it doesn't seem worth it to kind of get him stretched out as a starter when you know he's kind of a temporary piece for the season like I said he's not eligible for the postseason so you kind of want somebody that would be not that you want Brian Johnson being playoff starts but I mean they 
injuries happen, so you kind of would rather have somebody more prepared. Plus, your bullpen needs help, and they they've always liked Stephen Wright as a potential high leverage arm. Um, he's kind of had to go into the rotation out of necessity a lot over the last few years, and they haven't really been able to try him in that role, but that's what they were talking about before the season. Um, even without the suspension, the health issues, I don't think they wanted him starting, so it just makes sense to just put him in the bullpen and hope that he can help out there. I actually kind of hope they use him to finish off Brian Johnson's starts and just go with those two for You're the night. Kind of piggyback. Yeah, save the bullpen for a day. Yeah, I mean, ideally that would work, but it's usually it's one of those plans that always sounds good, but it never really works out like that. All right. Um, well, before we wrap up with some listener questions, let's end on some uh, a bit of a positive here. Uh, Chavis entered today with an 11-game pit streak that ended today, um, where he was slashing 320, 346, 460, and raised his overall batting line up from 245 to 264. So it was almost 20 points during those 11 games. Still some red flags there. Uh, 3.8% walk rate, 36.5% strikeout rate, which is a little high. Uh, so do you think this is the tip of the iceberg of him kind of level-setting his stat line, or do you see more progress to make versus has been made with his turnaround? I mean, I think this is kind of what to expect all year, um, or for the rest of the year, is he's just kind of going to be a roller coaster. I mean, he's he's clear. I mean, pitchers clearly know how to attack him. They're killing him with the high fastballs, and he cannot make contact with them. Um, but I mean, when they make a mistake, he's going to kill them. So he just has that kind of style where if he's going well, he's making contact and making hard contact. He's going to rake like he did on this 11 game. And then he'll go through 10 game stretches where he has like three hits over a week or whatever. And so I think in the end, he's probably going to end up somewhere around like a 250, 260 batting average. Um, but it's never really, he's never really going to be that player for any stretches i don't think i think it's gonna be he's either hitting like 350 or 150 at a time and it's just gonna be up and down kind of like a more condensed jackie bradley jr i'm okay with that i love javis he's so much fun yeah i mean he's a rookie this is kind of what you expect i mean he came out of the gate so hot i think people are kind of like this is like our ronald acuna or juan soto but i mean that was never realistic he's just he doesn't have that kind of hit tool no no he does not but might have their power. I mean, yeah, when he makes contact, he hits it as far as pretty much anyone not named Joey Gallo or Nomar Mazzaro, who's just hitting 500 home <laughs> runs in his sleep. Yeah. Now let's wrap up with some listener questions. First, Zach asks, why can't the Sox win at Fenway? Boy, that's a great question. That, that is the weirdest part of the season. I mean, so much of this year has been so weird. And, I mean, you think back to how poorly they started on the road, and you would think that that's just where their losses have come. But, I mean, for as bad as that opening stretch on the road was, they're 24-18 and 18 away from Fenway. I mean, that's a good road record, but they're 18-19 and 19 at home now. And it just, I mean, I don't know what the reason is. I don't know that there is a reason. I don't know if they're feeling pressure at home. I can't imagine that's the case if it's just weird kind of sequencing with bad results at home that'll even itself out it's it just doesn't really make any sense and it's if you're gonna point to one thing this year 
it's probably that. I mean, you've got to take care of business at home, and they're just not doing it. Yeah, I think that's true. I'm going to – I mean, they played a lot more away games, and so I'm going to try and just chalk that up to a law of averages thing. Only five more games. I mean, it's not too, too much. That's one whole hand. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Unless you get some horrible accident. <laughs> so maybe – that's something that evens itself out over the second half of the season. You would think so. I mean, I like I said, there's no like, there's nothing you could point to like this is the reason. It's not like they're not built for Fenway Park. I mean, we saw what they right. did last year, so it feels like it should even itself out. But it feels like a lot of things should be evening out that aren't. Getting everybody to play well together at the same time is something that should probably happen at some point here. So that would be too. nice. Yeah. All right, uh, Mike Teague wants to know. When should fans expect a trade to improve the bullpen, or should we? Clearly, this is a problem, but philosophically, should the Red Sox make this move and give up chips or just stay put knowing they'll essentially have them play for next year? If they do, uh, when might we expect it? Uh, So, I mean, to answer the second question first, um, they absolutely should. I think the idea of them treating this as a bridge year is absurd. Um, just the roster they have, where a lot of these guys on the are on the aging curve, I and mean, you, this is a win now team. You treat them like that. Um, giving up chips it hurts with their farm system, but at the same time, they don't really have chips. Like they don't have, they have one guy in Tristan Casas that's going to be on every top one hundred list. Jaron Duran might join them on a lot of lists too. But um, other than those guys, I mean, you trade what you need to trade to improve this bullpen. You focus on this year. And if you hurt the future a little bit, so be it. You're trying to win right now. You're trying to win as many championships as you can in this window. Um, as far as when, I think they're going to try to get two guys. That's just kind of feels like that's what they have to do. I wouldn't be surprised if one of these, if some trade comes down before the All-Star break. Um with the elimination of waiver trades this year, so there's no more trades after July 31st, it kind of feels like there might be some earlier trades. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know that it's going to be like a blockbuster or anything, but I would not be surprised if they kind of trade for a mid-level reliever over the next couple weeks, and then after that, make a bigger move close to the trade deadline. Um, I mean, that's all speculation, but it just kind of feels like that would be the move. Yeah, I think that's going to end up being the timeline as well. And I think it would be beyond idiotic to waste what might be your last season with J.D. Martinez and use it as a bridge year. That would only make sense if he was coming back. And with that uncertainty, you, you have to go for it. Even I mean, even if he was definitely coming back, I mean, you have he's getting older, Chris Sale's getting older, David Price is getting older. I mean, this is this is the time. You got to do it now. I know. They're playing poorly, and in a way, it kind of feels like throwing money at bad money or whatever. But I mean, this is this is how it works. You're in a window, and you got to do everything you can. I mean, for as badly as they're playing, they're not like at all out of it. No. Which uh, I guess I'll drop down a few and go to uh, Mike Ragoza, who asks buy or sell. And to me, it's all about buy. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question. And I mean, I think. The most ludicrous thing that has 
kind of gain steam whenever they go on a losing streak is trading Mookie Betts. And, um, <laughs> it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I hate that there's so many people that think it's like, that's like some galaxy brain ass shit right there. It's like, you got to trade Mookie Betts to get something for him. It's just, it, it makes me mad. Just the idea yeah. of that. And kind of fueling the fire, I saw, I didn't click on it, but I saw that today PA put a piece up about why the Red Sox should be deadline sellers, and that just doesn't make sense to me. So maybe it was a fake out, but I I didn't read I didn't get past the headline. I I bet it wasn't. I mean, there's a lot of people making that case, and it's just, I mean, what are you trading? You're trading, in that scenario, you're trading J.D. Martinez, and you're trading Rick Porcello. I mean, assuming you're not going nuts and trading pets, which I don't think anybody would, anybody with a brain would argue. It, to me, it's just Martinez and Porcello, and those guys aren't going to get back what people think they're going to get back. I mean, J.D. Martinez was only traded a couple years ago, and he got nothing back. So um, teams no. value control arguably too much. I would argue too much. But, uh, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, I mean, if you're not getting a blue chipper back for anybody that they would actually trade. Uh, Kyle G., wants to know uh what should they give up for a closer type uh a kid like michael lorenzen from cincy comes to mind michael lorenzen is mike lorenzen having a season that i'm not aware of yeah he actually is is he i guess I'm yeah not up on my michael lorenzen um i don't think that's who they should be targeting i mean i think if you're getting somebody of that caliber like i'm going for the top end um like ken giles has always been one of my favorite relievers of baseball he's presumably going to be available the red sox have made trades with the blue jays in the past i don't think that would be um any sort of um impediment so i mean that's the caliber of guy i'd be looking for i'm looking for somebody to pair with matt barnes as like a legit one-two punch yeah, I'm looking for a couple of mid-tier guys. Really, the only top-tier guy I would like to see them go after is Will Smith, and I don't know if they have the firepower to get it done because he is going to cost a buttload. I think they do. I mean, I think... When is Will Smith a free agent? Actually, that's a good question. I do not know the answer to that question. I mean, I think they can get pretty much anyone. I mean, I think it would hurt. I just Googled Will Smith without realizing that it's going to take me to the actor, <laughs> not the baseball player. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they have the firepower to get He's a free agent. Is he a free agent at the end of the year? Yeah. Yeah, he's a free agent at the end of the year. Yeah, I definitely think they would be able to get him. I mean, I think they would have to give up guys that people like. Um, But anybody who's listened to me on anything or read my writing knows that I'm definitely not going to be suggesting any trade packages because that super stresses me out. But um, I think that I would pretty much anybody but Tristan Casas is on the table, I think. That's probably fair. I think I would even make him available. I don't know if there's anybody I wouldn't trade. I don't think I would trade him for a lever, which is probably prospect hugging, but I really like Tristan Casas. He's pretty good. I don't blame you. Uh, Brian C. says, is the bullpen a tire fire or a dumpster fire? Well, according to fan graphs, it's neither. But your eyeballs <laughs> tell you a whole other story. Um, What's worse? A dumpster fire, right? Would be worse. I, guess, I mean, It smells uh, like trash. Although burnt rubber doesn't smell great. I guess is what is it one singular tire? I'm so if picturing it's many tires. It could be larger. Well, I'm picturing the tire fire from uh, the Simpsons, right? That's <laughs> what I would assume. I'll say they're a tire fire. I don't really know what the difference is, but I kind of like tire fire. 
I guess for uh, symmetry, I'll say dumpster fire. <laughs> Yolo Swaggins says uh, Dave Dombrowski says you can pick one available reliever and trade for him at market value. Who do you pick and what do you trade for him? So now you have to actually put a trade package together. Uh, I'm not doing it. <laughs> has to be from a team that will be selling. Yeah, I mean, that's fair because I would probably say like somebody that's on a good team. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I already said I I think Ken Giles is the guy that I want. Um, I think a lot of people don't like Ken Giles. I probably like him more than I should, but I've liked him forever. Um, I don't know. I have no idea what it would take. I would have to look at previous deals, but um, like I said, anybody but Koss is, is on the table for me. So whatever you want to take. I would hope – I would go into trade negotiations trying to find a team – that really likes Jay Groom and see if I can <laughs> get him somewhere. Because I feel like I feel like everybody likes Jay Groom more than I do at this point. Um, so does anybody still? still? He's still a top five guy for a lot of people in the organization. Which does it I say more about him or the organization? I mean, I it probably says more about the organization. But even then, like I still would have him lower down. I just I don't know. I don't really have faith in him anymore. I would so, love to trade him for a reliever. Yeah, I mean, it definitely wouldn't be him by himself. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess mean, I, I wouldn't guess, hate Giles. Yeah, I mean, I, I've like I said, I've probably at the point where I've liked him so long that I'm just kind of blinding myself to the flaws. And I mean, he did punch himself in the face a couple of years ago, <laughs> which is not great. And people would definitely use that as like a, he can't handle Boston, which I don't think is true, but maybe it is. But uh, I mean, pure talent wise. He's awesome, and he's having a bananas season. He's striking out like 16 batters for nine. Um, so, I mean, he would be expensive, but that would be the kind of guy I would be willing to shell out for. He just spent like his whole postgame presser on Saturday talking about how much he loves pitching in Boston, too. So, Did he? Yeah. There we go. Ken Giles to the Red Sox is confirmed. Yeah. I, I, I feel a little bit of the same way about uh, Kelvin Herrera, who was having a terrible season in Chicago, but I would still love to get him. I was all over Herrera uh, this offseason. I was totally convinced that they were going to sign him, like 100%. Because they, last year, um, when they didn't trade for a reliever, it was Herrera bust, and the Nationals just decided they didn't want to trade him. But uh, So I felt like after that, it was like, oh, they're definitely going to sign him this offseason. So I'm with you. Herrera is, I love Herrera. But I guess to answer uh, Mr. Swaggin's question, um, I would still go for Will Smith, and I guess that package would probably be a couple top teners. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to give up from their system. Yeah, you definitely got to give up a couple from the top ten to get anybody like that. Uh, Dominic LaDuc says, when Pierce returns, who gets sent down or DFA'd? Uh, so that is probably, I mean, if we say Smith goes down for right, um, I think it's probably another reliever going down. Um, and I would guess Schwarren. Um, I think Brewer and Taylor have pitched well enough that they deserve to stay down, but, uh, it would definitely be from one of those three. I think they would probably go back to a four-man bench. Um, but 
right now, Schwarm would be the leader, but any of those to me wouldn't be too surprising to me. Yeah, I kind of want Schwarm to stay. But I guess, do you know when Pierce is due back? Is he also due back this week? I don't know that they've said a date yet, but I mean, he's been in Pawtucket for a little bit, so I would expect him to be back soon. So that might be if Holt ends up Yeah, that could be the move with Holt too, yeah. Yep, that would do it. And the last question we have is from baseball, more like Gaseball. He would like to know, would you trade J.D. Martinez for a closer? And I'm a hard no. So it's been a little while since I've been on this podcast. Um, And when I was on this podcast in the past, I would say sometimes that some of the questions were the most ridiculous questions I've ever heard. Um, I think this might be the actual most ridiculous <laughs> question I've ever heard. I mean, if you are trading J.D. Martinez, which you've already talked about, they shouldn't do, they shouldn't be sellers, whatever. But if you are trading J.D. Martinez, you're doing it for prospects, you're doing it for young major leaguers, somebody to help you for the future. Um, a trading J.D. Martinez for a closer is... I, I can't even think of an analogy. It's like cutting your foot off to walk better. I mean, I don't know. You're making your team worse to fix a problem that I, I don't know. Like you trade, you're helping your bullpen, but your team is also getting like five wins worse at the same time. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. That's a whole hands worth of wins. <laughs> it is. Unless you got to cut off in a lobster trap. <laughs> Not great. Well, there you go. That'll do it. That's uh, that's quite a note to end on. Uh, but there you go. Welcome back, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Want to throw out all your plugs? I guess if you're listening to this, you already read Over the Monster. Um, you can follow Over the Monster on Twitter at, at Over the Monster. Um, I'm not going to plug my personal account because you don't have to follow that. So, yeah. that's. Oh, and uh, you can listen to the Locked On pod red Sox podcast with jake and myself every day monday through friday that is another thing that i do nice all right you can follow me on twitter at the spoken keats and you can follow jake on twitter at dev jake and that'll do it thanks for listening <laughs>